Our sermon passage this morning is Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Thank you, Ben. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as your people to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that you have revealed yourself as the great I am and the one who loved us and sent your son to give his life that we might live by faith in him. We ask you, Father, to open our hearts this morning to see the truths of your word today so that we can learn to love you more and serve you better. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. What's in a name? Famous question from Shakespeare's uh, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet asks, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And the point there, of course, was that her last name was Capulet and her boyfriend's last name was Montague, but they were at war with one another and things weren't working out too well and did not work out too well. And so she was like, why? why does the name matter? What difference does it make? Now, you know, in European and Western thought, that's pretty much the case. We don't attach that great significance to the names that we give our children. You know, my, my name in Greek means crown, but I know for a fact my parents didn't know that when they named me back 30 years ago. Uh, in fact, they were going to name me Rebecca Ruth. I'm glad they changed their mind. But that's not true in the ancient world, especially among the Semitic people. A name was very significant. It was said something about the character of the person that's been named or the hope that somebody might have about that person. And we see this, of course, throughout the Bible. And so in uh, Jamie's absence, he and his family are uh, taking a mini vacation, and I'm pinch hit for Jamie today. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit, look at, Exodus chapter 3, this incredible passage where God gives us his name. When God decided to give himself a name, what was it? And why was it significant? And then I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Here in, the, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses says, what am I going to tell the, 
tell the children of Israel your name is. Remember, this has been a long time since the time of the patriarchs. A lot of centuries have passed. Buried there in Egypt, in slavery, surrounded by Egyptians who had this whole concept of a host of gods and goddesses that controlled everything. The memory of the name Yahweh had begun to fade. And Moses wasn't sure that even he had it right. He had to ask God, what, what's the name I'm supposed to give them? God says, I am that I am. See, when God speaks of himself, he says, I am. And the name that he wanted us to call him means he is. And that is the name Yahweh. And there's three significant ideas behind the name Yahweh. Number one, since it comes from the verb to be, the verb to be in Hebrew is hayah. It's also the Hebrew word for karate, hayah. Just kidding. Because it comes from the verb to be, it indicates that God is an eternal being. He has always existed. He has no origin. And that flies right in the face of all the gods of the ancient world. It doesn't matter where you are. Egypt, Mesopotamia, Persia, Greece, Rome, Canaan, it didn't matter. All those gods and goddesses that they made up in their own minds, they had an origin. They, couldn't, they had no concept of a god that had always existed. And God says, I am. And the special form of that word also indicates creativity. He is the creator. And again, if you talk about the ideas behind the gods and goddesses, it was a kind of a group effort and they were constantly fighting among themselves about control over their creation as well. God is the creator of all things in heaven and earth. The entire physical world that has existed since Genesis 1-1, he put it there and he controls it. And he controls everything in it and everybody in it. And one of the most important concepts, particularly for redemption, is that Yahweh is his covenant name. And this is something else that's unique about the God of the Bible. <clears throat> the ancient world knew nothing about gods and goddesses who entered into a covenant with humanity. That is unique to the God of the Bible. God condescends to enter into a relationship with people in rebellion against him and to bring them into a relationship with himself. Now, I want to <clears throat> kind of connect this to uh, a passage in chapter 6, verse 2. 6-2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. There's that name. When you see that, let me just put that on the board, guys, um, that first slide. When you see Lord written like that in all capitals, behind that is the Hebrew name Yahweh. This is the way English translations have traditionally rendered the divine name, Yahweh. And I'd like to challenge you, in your study of the Old Testament, when you see that, Think Yahweh, because that's who we're referring to. That's the name behind that word, the way it's written. And 
put uh, the third one up there, God. A few times, actually a few hundred times, it's actually written with God in all capitals. And there's a special situation where that occurs, and if you want to pursue that, feel free to ask me. Um, this name occurs almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's, gonna, it's everywhere. God, technically, God has only one name, and that's it, Yahweh. He is. Everything else is a title. God is a title. Lord is a title. Uh, put the other one up there, Lord. When it's just the capital L, that's the word Adonai. The regular Hebrew word for master or Lord or sovereign. The one who has control over, over things. The one in authority. But his name is Yahweh. And here in chapter 6, verse 2, He says, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Now, the translations have traditionally just made that last part a statement. But I really believe that's a rhetorical question. It should be read this way. Did I not make my name, Yahweh, known to them? Yes, I did as testified by 165 occurrences of the, of the word in the book of Genesis alone, sometimes on the lips of the patriarchs. Yes, they knew the name, and yes, they knew what it meant. I made my name known as El Shaddai. I also made my personal name known, Yahweh, to them. And I'm explaining it more fully to you right now, Moses. I'm revealing myself as the eternal creator, covenant-keeping God. Now, in the Old Testament, in fact, all three persons of the Trinity are referred to as Yahweh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it is true that it is Yahweh who became a man. It is this same God who created all things. The first use of the word Yahweh is actually in Genesis 2-4. The Lord God, Yahweh God, created heaven and earth and all things in it. And in that context, it's anticipating he is entering into a relationship with Adam and Eve, whom he's about to create. Genesis 1 gives the creation of the universe in six days, everything in it. And in a typical Semitic fashion where they like to tell the broad story and then go back and give more details, Moses then goes back in chapter 2 and gives more detail about the creation of Adam and Eve and uses the covenant name for the first time. God is only humanity that God enters into a covenant relationship with. Now you might be wondering, <clears throat> why is this such a big deal? Well, I think there are a couple of things here that we can keep in mind that will help us. It, it, there's a continuity throughout the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but throughout the Bible with this divine name. Almost 7,000 times Yahweh occurs in the Old Testament. He is the God of Israel. Let me, let me read some passages from the Old Testament, some probably familiar with, using the divine name. 
Chapter 4, verse 16 of Genesis. Then men began to call upon the name of Yahweh. This has always been the way people have been redeemed, calling upon the name of the Redeemer God. Not by works. It's never been by works. This is long before Moses. Law of Moses ain't got anything to do with it anyway. Salvation's never been by the law of Moses. It's always been by calling upon the name of Yahweh, the one true God. Abraham, when he sacrificed his son, or was told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, God stopped him as he was about, when he raised the knife to actually do it, and said, stop, there's a ram in the thicket, sacrifice that instead. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Ureh, Yahweh provides a sacrifice. Exodus chapter 20, several times God uses his divine name, his personal name in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, uh, Jamie will be getting to this section in a couple of years. Um, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the heights of slavery. I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God. That's in the second commandment. Whenever you see the word jealous in the Old Testament, Applied to God, it has to do with idolatry. It's always in the context of idolatry. God is jealous. He demands loyalty from us not to serve and bow down to other gods. Do not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. The seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. Leviticus 11, 44. I am Yahweh your God, so you must be holy because I am holy. And probably the most well-known verse in the Old Testament, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. So what is, what is this connection, though, to the New Testament? Well, I can't remember when it was, a year or two ago, we did a, Jamie did a series on the I Am statements in the book of John, where Jesus is clearly designating himself, identifying himself with the God of Exodus chapter 3. When he's walking on the water, he says, don't be afraid, I am. When talking to the Jews about who he was, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And as they were about to arrest him in chapter 19, he said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And they all fall to the ground by the power of that name. And there's, there's a connection here over and over again in the New Testament to the divine name Yahweh in the Old Testament applied to Jesus. And it does it by doing, showing e events or truths about Yahweh in the Old Testament are now stated about him. We've already talked about God as creator, but who... Does John chapter 1 say created the universe and everything in it? Jesus, the eternal word who became flesh. Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 affirm the same thing. At least three places in the New Testament refer to Christ as creator. And that is nothing but blasphemy unless it's true. And it just so happens to be true. He himself is Yahweh, 
the creator, the one who became a man and entered into his own creation for us. Another connection is Jesus is going to be the judge of all, all the way through the Old Testament. Yahweh is the one who is going to judge. He judges and he will judge. And yet, the New Testament says it's Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that's precisely what Jesus says. He's going to judge everyone. He's going to decide who enters the kingdom. Also true in John chapter 5. There's another famous phrase in the prophets, the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. Guess what? In the New Testament, that's the day of Jesus, the day of Christ Jesus, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. And the day of Yahweh refers to the time of Yahweh's visitation on the earth, either in blessing or judgment, depending on your relationship to him. There's a couple more I'd like to connect for us. There's at least three places in the New Testament where there's the statement, Jesus is Lord. This was an early Christian confession. It arose out of the midst of persecution in the Roman Empire to help identify who were truly followers of Jesus. What were they willing to say about him? Caesar, the, the deification of the Caesars was very common. And to show your loyalty to Caesar and the Roman Empire you are often called upon to say, Caesar is Lord. And Christians refuse to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, No one by the Spirit can say Jesus is accursed. But by the Spirit of God, believers will say, Jesus is Lord. And he's talking about Identifying him as God, as deity, as Yahweh. After all, who is this person that we are believing in to save us? He's God himself. He's Yahweh. And that connection is made by Paul even more clearly in Romans chapter 13. Excuse me, Romans chapter 9, verses 10 and 13. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13, he quotes Joel 2.32. Whoever will call upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. And so the word Lord there in both those verses refers to Yahweh. Paul is saying you have to confess Jesus is Yahweh. Now, the deity of Christ is such an important teaching, such an important doctrine, that if you remove that, you don't have Christianity anymore. You don't have the faith anymore. You don't have the gospel anymore. That is a confession that every Christian is called upon to make. I believe that Jesus is Yahweh. He is Lord. He is God. It is God who became a man and God who died for me. Another one 
is in Philippians chapter 2. Paul starts off by referring to the humility of Jesus. Here he existed equal with God, equal with the Father. He didn't consider it robbery to call himself equal with God. He wasn't taking anything away from God by saying, I am equal with the Father, because he was. And yet, he humbled himself. He became a man. He became a servant. He died. And what was God the Father's response? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What is that name? That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. People around the world are more than willing to say that Jesus is a good man, was a great man, maybe even a great prophet. That's not enough. That's not nearly enough. See, the name that's above every name is the name Lord, the name Yahweh. Jesus was a very common name. That's not the name that Paul has in mind here. What, the, what he's describing is a scene like this, that one day, whether it all happens at one time or over a long period of time, not sure, but one day, God the Father or some angel is going to shout, Jesus, and everybody at that name is going to bow the knee, and say, Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is Lord. He is God. You can deny it in this life. You can blaspheme his name in this life. And many have and still do. You could deny he even existed. But there's a day of reckoning coming. And it's very clear there that God is including everyone in this bowing of the knee. And the reason we know that this is a reference to Yahweh is because it's a quotation, a reference to Isaiah 45, where Yahweh says that very thing, every knee will bow to me. So either you bow your knee today in humility and repentance and faith and believe in him so that on that day you will do so willingly and gladly before your Savior or you'll be forced to do it. But it will happen. And the way I understand that, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, means those who are dead, those who are alive, and even the world of the angels and demons and Satan himself bowing the knee because of who Jesus is. Who is this Savior? Who is this person? Why are we here? Because of that grand truth of who Jesus is. And this is why we have the Lord's Supper. This is why we do what Jesus commanded his followers to do and regularly partake of the Lord's Supper together. Come on, guys. Yeah. I want to connect this to one more verse. Zechariah chapter 12 It says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. That's verse 10. But we find out that the speaker in verse 1 is Yahweh himself. This is the Lord's declaration. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. Yahweh said that. When was Yahweh pierced? 
John 19 tells us, John the Apostle standing right there and saw it happen. The soldier pierced his side with a spear. That's when it happened. Yahweh was pierced for you. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. He died for you. He came back from the dead for you. Triumph over sin and death for you. And for those of us here today who know Jesus, whether you're a member of Redeemer or not, if you know Jesus, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us today.